Welcome to this edition of the Million Dollar Mastermind Podcast. This is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned, real-world insights on winning. I'm your host, Larry Wydell. You get things going. We can't get any further without me asking you about some horror stories, because one of the way you get on stage, and I'm sure you hear it, oh, Kurt, you're a genius. And the thing is, the thing about when people, the, the reality about being a genius is the fact that you've made thousands more mistakes than the person who's calling you a genius. And <laughs> you've learned, don't stick your finger in that socket. So you're a genius. You never stick your finger in that socket. But talk about things where you just really ran into walls out of exuberance or not knowing and because you got to be aggressive and you were aggressive, obviously starting the company, going out there. But there had to be some lessons that you remember that uh, burned you hard, but taught you a lot. Yeah. Well, I, what I love is you actually use the term mistakes. I yeah. mean, I'm sure you look back investing yeah. and you're like looking back at what you know now, like, oh, if I look back six months ago, that was not a good investment that I would right. I should have known it then. And most people I find that haven't found real success, they'll use terms like, I mean, it wasn't a failure. I learned something. No, no, it's a failure. It's a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that's the first key there is yeah. where are you? You know, do people acknowledge that themselves? The biggest thing that jumps out for me was, and it was early on in my career, is I'm now at a place that realizes I know the company wants outcomes, but part of my role is to make the company successful through my current leadership as well. And yeah. so I'm going to work with people that I, if I choose to stay, that's because I respect them and I want to stay there. And early on at my company, I completely just disagreed with this boss that I had. She and I could come up to any table. It ended up being a great relationship long-term, but whatever the solution was, she would come from the right side, I would come from the left side, and we're both trying to figure out where to push it from, but we always were diametrically opposed. It was great once we figured that out, but I didn't realize that she was my boss and my leader, and my role was to help make the company successful through her. Right and I stupidly, I'm in the boardroom as a board observer and she and I get done presenting things and she presents her view. And I get asked, Kurt, what do you think? Ah, and To your point about being aggressive. Yeah. I'm young, I'm stupid. And I not only was I stupid, I still could have spoken up and said, I disagree with her, but I did it in such a disrespectful, confrontational way. I spoke down about her position because I disagreed with the position and I, it came across as I think she's dumb in this situation. Yeah. And I didn't realize that it took years to even get to the point where she kind of came back and said, look, you're unfireable from where you're at. You deliver in ways that nobody could possibly do that. But, but I hate you and we're never going to be over yeah. from that. And I yeah. so respected that actually of a case. We had a wonderful relationship after that because, yeah. but I look back at times where I just completely failed and it's, like that, to your point about being aggressive, that was not healthy confrontation. You can disagree with people. You can have a different opinion. You can think that they're dumb, but you should never treat somebody like that. You can, you need to talk to the opinions and bring evidence and not ever speak down about just well, somebody that disagrees with you. Let's talk about the way she responded to that again, because talk about that because she obviously had respect for what you were doing and your value. And she was wise enough 
to take, you know, the initiative or whatever or to be open enough to flip that relationship. And it turned out positive for both of you. Yeah, she was much more emotionally mature than I was in that board meeting. She literally after I got done presenting, people asked, do you have a different opinion? She goes, I just disagree. But he's got a valid point. And that was about all that she said. Yeah. And I like there's no way me at a 25, 26 year old could have ever had that kind of maturity. And she wasn't that much older than me. She was just that much more business mature than I was. Right. And then later on, I actually, I was still pushing about like, why is our work relationship not well? And she just raised up the issue, which now I try to do. Right. Like, if you ask, let's just bring it up on the table. Yeah. This is why we have right. a difficult working relationship. And I asked then at that point, is there a way to repair that? And I mean, it's where she was. And she said, no, like, yeah. we're not going to get, we can't go back in time and right. fix that. And you can't apologize enough to make me feel better, but we can address where we're at and just keep moving. So, yeah. yeah. And that's a lesson that Putin could have learned, but he didn't. And Prigozhin yeah. is dead now. And the thing is, I wondered what Prigozhin said in that revolt that stung it so bad. But I read in one of the articles that one of the things he said was, we're never going to win the war when grandpa referring to Putin is a moron. He actually said that. Oh, yeah. And if you think Putin was going to let ever let that go, <laughs> you're not familiar with how the Kremlin operates. But it's amazing that a guy with that much power had not learned that lesson. You can get full of yourself out there. And we need to keep our heads clear that the issue in front of us is not the issue of a lifetime. And relationships, you like to get through things so you can go out and have bigger victories. And you always need to keep it in your mind that you might be wrong. No matter, I know of a, one of the fellows I interviewed on here, he was with Jeff Bezos. He was 25 years. He's a robotics guy out right out of Stanford. And that, you know, Bezos wanted to get into robotics and all that. And so uh, he wound up working with Jeff every day, every day. Wow. And he, his career just skyrocketed. And then all of a sudden, Bezos had one project he came up with that obviously it was just a pet project. He wanted to do it. They didn't have the numbers. They always went off the numbers. But this one didn't have the numbers, but Bezos wanted to do it anyway. And this kid was full of himself again in his 20s. And uh, he said, I'm going to resign over this. And he said, 10 years later, he said, what an idiot was I. Yeah. He said that was the only time he said you can allow a guy one mistake or one flare up. But he said, no, I was dogmatic. I wasn't going to go along. I wasn't going to allow it. And so those are lessons that we need to learn now. Be simple lessons, you know, it's kind of like just the simplest lessons are the obvious lessons that if you just have some common sense about how you go about life. You could save yourself. Uh, the one thing is to not make things harder for yourself and complicated right. by your response, your overreaction, and uh, deal with problems. Don't ignore problems, but don't overreact. And so right. as you, you develop the cool head, and that allows you to be the person who's in charge of a major organization because you don't explode easily. Now, as you go and you talk to people, you say, I became known as for scaling. Well, I wonder if in your process of you learning how to develop the, the sense, the feel, the knowledge of how to scale, there were some errors along the way 
that or every one of the your ideas worked on scaling up? Oh, absolutely not. And so that's actually one of the things where I teach a lot and I'll speak about is like I can guarantee that even right now, I'm fundamentally wrong about at least three things in my business today that I think I'm right about. Yeah. And so to your point, like there's that bit of saying like, and here, because what most people don't realize, especially what holds them back from scaling. I mean, if you can find out where you're wrong about something six months earlier than you otherwise would, you've compressed the amount of time to getting on the right path, no matter what it is, whether it's customer success, building a product feature, logistics, robotics, whatever. And so I actually take a process like it's at least two minutes every day. And I usually I do it for work and I usually do it for my personal life too. I guarantee there's at least three things I'm wrong with my relationship with my wife right now. And because the, the thing is, being wrong and being right feels exactly the same until you have data or somebody right. convinces you that you're actually wrong. And so for me, like, have I failed? I failed so many times. Most people would crawl under the table and die. I mean, you try things, you test stuff. And I think that's why the hardest thing for a lot of organizations is the person who's very agile. I tend to be agile. We're going to create a roadmap. We're going to say we're going towards that mountaintop. And the path we're going to take very obviously is going to change. But you have a CFO that's a CPA. They've been really good. They're at the numbers. And they want to see kind of that two-year, three-year roadmap. Where are we investing in whatever part of the business is? And most people, myself early on, I failed in having that discussion that talks through there is no three-year roadmap. Hell, there's no 13-month roadmap that I could create today that will hold in almost any growth industry. But you have to have a discussion to be able to talk in terms of really of the people that hold the checkbooks, what do they care about? You're, you're an investor. You care about controlled risk for your investment. You want an upside, right. but you don't want an uncontrolled downside. You have right. to have that discussion. And so I did not realize early on that I needed to be able to actually, it wasn't, I viewed it as politics that I was like, ah, I'm in this adversarial relationship with the people that hold the checkbooks instead of, no, no, I'm building relationships with those people. For those of you who are sick and tired of fooling around and are dead serious about wanting to move up fast, I've got something especially for you. I've combined the best insights from over 40 years in business and making $70 million in income and compressed them into a free webinar. That's right. It's a free resource. If you want to find out exactly what the concepts are that I use in coaching million-dollar earners, register now at WhiteLOnWinning.com you'll discover the five-part framework used by so many to reach their financial, personal, and professional goals. You can find that link in this episode's show notes. And when you talk about the kinds of things you remember of the process where you assemble teams across six continents and going through dozens of acquisitions, How, what are things that you look as keys that kept you on track to be able to do that? You know, one continent expansion is staggering, but to go to six continents, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of geography. Yeah, I learned early on because I was- And we're talking to you. I mean, we're talking you. (laughs) You're the guy. You're the guy sitting up there in North Georgia on the porch, and you're the guy. And so, I mean, it just shows you can do stuff like that. And, you know, you've got that in your past. So what can you tell us about that adventure? 
especially as you start working with more remote teams and especially across multiple regions, you have to realize that you're not going to get authentic information from many of those teams. And especially as your teams grow, as the levels go down, and I didn't stumble into this. I learned early on. So the company Navtech we talked about, we were kind of the retirement company for Judson Green. He was the president of Disney theme parks. He was the CFO of Disney Entertain of Disney as a whole. And uh, he kind of retired from Disney after decades and decades, now building Animal Kingdom and such. And he came to our little company of about $85 million a year in revenue until he realized what all was there. And I was one of a handful, uh, two handfuls of people. It was about 10, it was 10 people that he came to me. I was a, just out of my master's degree. And nobody else, my boss, my two levels of bosses between me and uh, Judson didn't know. But Judson came to me and the conversation basically went like this. He said, Kurt, I learned from Disney that at every level, people are going to lie to me. They don't mean to, but they want to tell me good things and they don't want to tell me what's going wrong. I will help you in your career, but a couple of things have to happen. One, you will not ever tell anybody else at this company or even like outside that you and I are having this relationship. It's confidential until I decide it's not going to be. And two, I will ask you questions about what's going on. And unless I ask for opinion, you will give me facts on the ground as you see them. And so he coming from Disney, he didn't, it's not that he distrusted people. He loved the people he'd worked with before, but he knew as reporting goes up, you tend to have good information flows up and not bad information. But leaders, he was wonderful when he knew what was actually going on. And so after two years, there was only me and one other person that was still in that group that was still giving him authentic information. I believed him. I believed that he wouldn't take my conversation anymore if I gave him opinion or didn't tell him truth. And I was very rigid about um, telling him only what I could see from a data perspective. Well, he ended up leaving after we went public. We had a great gentleman take over. When I finally left that company 10 years later, Judson was out there and he and I had stayed in a little bit of contact and he came back and started mentoring me for a good number of years. And I've continued that as I've grown teams and I've realized like people don't mean to, they're not intending, some people intend to lie, but most don't, but they want to tell the boss good things. They want to yeah. let the good reports go up. And no matter how much work I do in trying to create those environments of vulnerability and a safe space to get actual data, that's always going to happen. So I spend as much time as I can with actual customers. I spend as much time with the frontline employees that are three levels down on a team. And I love having conversations where I'm not trying to sell people that have stopped working with our company, either as an employee or as a customer. And I'm not trying to sell them. Hell, I'll buy you and your wife dinner if you'll just tell me, can you take an hour and just tell me what went wrong and why you didn't renew our $100,000 you know, software agreement? And people are like, you're going to try to sell me. No, I'll give you the check ahead of time. Yeah. And so as you, one thing about, I remember a story, Jamie Dimon, who's running uh, JP Morgan now, he was Sandy Wiles' sidekick in the 90s and wow. uh, went through all kinds of names, changes, you know, to Smith Barney, to Travelers, and to Citibank. But what happened was, and they, anyway, in 10 years, they went from a consumer finance company in Maryland, he assembled a dream team of advisors. And in 10 years, he became the number one company in the world. At one time, Citigroup was the number one, you know, ahead of Apple, yeah. all of those. It was number one. And Jamie was at his side all the way through 
until the merger was he didn't last through the merger with city because uh, he was not happy about how that happened you know he didn't think he got all the respect and anything but during that time we were their marketing engine for city and so uh they would come down periodically they had this thing where once a month they would get they had a planning group meeting and they would have like dinner the night before they'd have presentations all day and then dinner and cigars and everything the last night. And then they'd check out the next morning, you know? And I said, uh, but all the company leaders, they would come together in person, face to face, and you would give the numbers. Like where you talk about the facts, they'd have to get up in right. front of everybody and give the facts and give the numbers. You know, like, are you making us better? Or are you making us worse? So anyway, right. I asked Jamie, well, we were walking on stage part of a row of people getting ready to be introduced to the kickoff a convention of 50,000 people, you know, got all this roar and everything. And I said, what do you suckers do at that planning meeting? How does that go? What do you talk about? Because, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to get inside the belly of the beast, you know. Right. It was obviously successful. And he looked at me astounded that I would ask the question. And he said, we talk about the facts. <laughs> right. We talk about the facts. It's like he couldn't believe. And the thing is, would you agree that when you actually have the hard facts, a lot of the decisions, especially the bigger decisions, kind of make themselves? Yeah, very much so. And, or And there's decisions you have to make, especially from a strategy perspective, where a lot of times you don't know where where what the future will hold. Market yeah. could change as well. But I think when you're making the decision up front and you say, look, we're going into some uncharted tech uh, areas. What data are we going to not let us know that we're on the right path? Too many people get sidetracked because they only care about the outcome, the sales, the revenues. And I think the bigger thing is like, that's an end result. That's a lagging indicator. I think the early on thing is like, uh, for me, facts end up coming into what are the leading indicators? What are those things that are, if these things keep happening, then the lagging indicators are going to get there. Too many people, they get together and the data they look at is just about, did we hit our numbers or not? Like, there's a point of where I don't care whether the company has hit its actual sales numbers right then. What I care about is, are we doing all the things that we believe are right, that I can track from a data perspective, that at the end will end up hitting the sales numbers where we're at? And so like, and at the end, like there may be a place where if the revenues don't get hit, the data tells us our messaging, our sales, our approach was wrong. But too often, the da- it's what data do we look at, the leading or the lagging side? Yeah. And it's kind of like driving a car. You've got a desk, you know, you got some place you want to be. You've got a time you want to be there by. But on the other hand, you've got to get past this truck in front of you or construction delay or traffic backup or whatever. And you got to make a decision in the moment. And the facts of where you are at that moment, uh, it makes all the difference in the world, regardless of how it affects the end, end result. You know, you've got to, uh, right. the thing is, when we start things, you're going into the unknown. Once you get going, you're not in the unknown anymore. Right. <laughs> data coming in, you can start to fine tune, the, you know, your path, and, and your resources, your energy, your efforts. For me, I think the success ends up coming in often defining early on when you're as you're like, let's define today what data we want to look at in six months, in 12 right. months, that's going to tell us. Because otherwise, like, especially when you have like visionary CEOs, they always want more. And so the problem that I end up seeing is companies come off of the scaling path when they were doing all the things that were right. 
they had a good team on board, but it didn't feel like it was growing because they were the visionary CEO, they're looking at the end outcome. And, and when the, the people that are on the team right now that could easily prove, they could look at it and say, oh, we're exact, we're ahead of where we should be 12 months in, 24 months in to this transformation or this growth. If you didn't have the discussion early on, now to that visionary CEO, it feels like you're defending, don't fire me. Yeah. And so that's a problem that like the problem when you don't may have that discussion early on about the leading indicators that are going to get to where we all want is the visionary CEO who has the vision. They're setting the outcome. They're in that role for a place. I love those people. I may be the king of scaling, but I really think I'm the queen maker, the king maker. I don't necessarily yeah. need to be in the big chair. I actually love working for that visionary CEO. But what I don't want is for them to fail at what they're trying to accomplish because when we could have had the discussion early on about what numbers we should be looking at, if it's 24 months later and then we're talking about it, then they feel like I'm defending my position. When yeah. in fact, I could have actually, the whole time my strategy says, we're ahead of where we should be. I'm over-delivering or my friend is over-delivering and like I'll be brought in as a consultant and I'm like, you don't need to fire her. She's the best person you could possibly have. But the visionary CEO is really looking for justification. They made the decision before they brought you in. There you go. That's the thing. Don't ask if you've already made your decision. <laughs> it's like people come to you and they want your opinion on this that, and the other. And the first question should always be, have you already decided? <laughs> have you made right. your choice? Have you, have you signed the lease? Have you, you know, made the commitment? Well, then go, go, go. I think it's a great move. Don't ask me now. Thanks for listening to the Million Dollar Mastermind. If you felt there were any valuable takeaways from this episode, please take a minute and leave us a five-star review. Your feedback is important and really helps us get the word out to a wider audience. Remember, we have a valuable webinar that is absolutely free. Register for it right now at whitealanwinning.com. Thanks for listening.